Good morning. Welcome to Northminster on this Epiphany Sunday morning. Glad that you are here today. Whether you're joining us in person or online, your presence is a gift to all of us and a gift to God because the best thing that we can bring to worship is ourselves. So thank you for being here. If you're visiting with us, I want to say a special word of welcome to you. We're particularly glad that you are here and hope that you will participate in all aspects of our worship service, including communion. We do communion here at Northminster every week. Uh, And when you uh, are ready to come up and take communion, if you are in need of a gluten-free wafer, get my attention. We do have those available, and I'll make sure you get one. There are instructions for communion on the insert to your order of worship, or just follow the folks around you, and they'll lead you in the right direction. Several uh, announcements for you this morning. I would encourage you to look on the list on the insert to your order of worship, but a couple of things that are not listed. Uh, The first is uh, our Cuba trip. Uh, that is taken almost every year here at Northminster to go see our partner church in Ciego de Avila, Cuba. is coming up on January 24th. The group going is Craig, D.H., Beth, Kyle, Jennifer, Bobby, and Terry. Bobby and Terry being Kyle's sisters. So quite a good group going this year. Um, and if you have not already, please check out the uh, giving trunk out in the narthex because some of that stuff there is to go to Cuba, and they are very much in need of, I think, pretty much everything we can give them at this point. Things are not easy in Cuba. So please be in prayer for those folks as they prepare for that trip, and we will have more information for you soon on that. I also want to announce something that has not been announced yet, and I do apologize for that. This week was chaotic in my life, so I'm coming at this a bit late. But next Sunday, the 14th, we will be showing a documentary here at the church about when the word homosexual was first introduced into the Bible and the impact that has had. Uh, Megan, what time did six? Okay, doors open at 5.30. The actual documentary will start at six o'clock. This is something that Megan Proffer and Beth Mayfield, who is chair of our Education and Arts Commission, have been working on. Thank you both for picking up the slack on this. But I think it'll be a really wonderful opportunity to have an ongoing, very important conversation. It is free admission. Um, So if you'd like to invite someone to come and watch the documentary, we would love to have them. Uh, And that will be next Sunday evening. I think that's everything I have. So now, Charles, will you come and offer our moment for mission, please? Happy New Year, Northminster family. Well, it has become a tradition at Northminster to dedicate a mission emphasis month in support of the furry inhabitants of our three local animal shelters. Throughout the month of January, our hearts and trunk donations will again unite in support of these cherished companions in need. Please see the order of worship for the more detailed list, but here are a few general items to consider. Pet treats, please no rawhides. Pet food uh, for dogs, puppies, kittens, canned and dry, cat litter. Cleaning supplies, any cloth items that could be used for bedding, like towels, sheets, blankets, such as that. All three of the shelters also have Amazon wish lists if you'd like to find a way to donate more beyond the trunk. And as we embark on this sacred monthly mission tradition, let us collectively recognize that the pets in the shelters are our responsibility. They often find themselves without homes due to our actions, not their own. 
May this realization guide us as we consider areas or ways to support them. In closing, let the words of St. Francis of uh, Assisi resonate deeply within us. If you have men who will exclude any of God's creatures from the shelter of compassion and pity, you will have men who will deal likewise with their fellow men. Beautifully said. Let's take a deep breath together, friends. We take this deep breath to settle ourselves, to give our minds and our hearts and our bodies a chance to catch up with each other. We don't live in a society that is good at slowing down. Uh, even now when Christmas is over and we have begun a new year, the pace doesn't stop. So take a deep breath. If it helps you to close your eyes, close your eyes, plant both feet on the floor, and as you breathe in, breathe in quiet, breathe in the joy of being surrounded by those who care about you just as you are. As you breathe out, breathe out your to-do list, breathe out the laundry that's never done, breathe out the homework that has restarted. Breathe in again. Know that you are loved by God as you are in this moment. And then please join me in our call to worship. We gather wondering, where will we find the babe born in Bethlehem? We gather asking, where will we find the child of Christmas? We gather wanting to know, where will we find the Christ who has come for us?
It's a terrible face you're making, friend. There we go. Your smile is much happier. How is everybody today? Good. So I have a question for you. Have any of you ever gone outside at night and put a blanket out and looked up at the sky? No? Never gotten? It's called stargazing. Oh, you're, are you scared of the dark? Yeah. Dark can be kind of scary. Well, if you go outside and you lay a blanket down and you look up at the stars, what do you see? What do they look like? They look like stars, but what do they, do they look like? They look like dots, okay. What do they look like, B? Okay. Okay. Do you know what stars are made of? No, well, almost. The moon is not a star. The moon is a planet. Anybody know what stars are made out of? Hmm, okay. Rock? No, the moon is kind of a really big rock. Stars are big balls of flaming gas. And they burn from the outside, or the inside out. So what's the biggest star that we see? We see it most days. Yeah. The sun. The sun, the sun is a really, really big star. Really big star. The sun is in the very middle. Okay. The sun is certainly the closest star to the earth, and we see its light and we feel its heat. So if you look outside right now, it's light outside. That's because of the sun. Now, you may have heard a story in the Bible, pay attention to me, turn around, thank you, uh, about the wise men. Have you heard the story of the wise men before? Yeah? Good. I'm seeing lots of nodding heads. And they follow a star, a really bright star, to go where? Who are they going to see? Baby Baby Jesus, yes. The star shone over the place where Jesus was born. It actually, here's what the Bible says. The Bible tells us that when the star came and stood over where the young child was, the wise men rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Now, what's really interesting about that story of the star is it was giving off light, like I said, from the inside out. And it led the wise men to Jesus, who was born to offer God's love and light to the world that can light us from the inside out. So what if I told you, you all are a little bit like a star? What would you think? Am I crazy? Yeah. Yeah. But here's here's why. Here's why I say that. Is kind of like that star that helped the wise men get to Bethlehem and to see baby Jesus. You, it means that by being kind and respectful and treating people well, just like Jesus did, You're showing the light of God from the inside of you outward. So I want you to think about that this week. I want you to think about all the different ways you, just as your normal self, can shine a light that reflects Jesus. You can do that. How do you think you can do that? What do you think, Parker? Being kind. What do you think, CJ? Not spitting on anybody. That's just really good advice. Yeah. Yeah, we should not spit on people. What do you think, Melba? Being respectful, even if people don't look or sound like us, right? What do you think, B? How can we shine the light? Um, 
don't hit people, that's a really good rule. All of these are ways that you can shine a light on Christ and be like Jesus, which is really what all of us are trying to do, even the grown-ups. So think about that this week, okay? Now, we're going to turn around. We're going to say our prayer. Everybody turn all the way around. Please stay seated on your bottoms. Keep your hands to yourselves, if you would. And I want you to speak up nice and loud. I'll say the first line, and you say it back to me. Adults, you're welcome to join in. I see the face of God in you. I see the face of God in you. The love of Christ comes shining through. And I am blessed to be with you. Oh, holy child of God. Amen. You can go back to your seats now. A reading from Isaiah. Arise, shine, for your light has broken through. The Eternal One's brilliance has dawned upon you. See truly, look carefully. Darkness blankets the earth. People all over are cloaked in darkness. 
but God will rise and shine upon you. The eternal's bright glory will shine on you, a light for all to see, nations north and south, peoples east and west will be drawn to your light. We'll find purpose and direction by your light. In the radiance of your rising, you will enlighten the leaders of nations. Don't be shy. Don't be doubtful. Lift up your eyes and look around. They have gathered all around you eager to come and be close to you. And your children will come back to this land, your sons from the farthest places of wandering, and your daughters gently carried home. And when you see it, your face will glow, your heart will race and be filled with joy. For great ships will arrive with gifts from across the sea, and the wealth of nations will make its way to you. Herd after herd of camels will cover the land, caravans arriving daily from south and southwest, Midian, Ephraim, and even Sheba with gifts of gold and frankincense. They will announce for all the world to hear, the eternal be praised. Now your gates will stay open to a constant stream of gifts. All day and night, they will not be shut as the wealth of nations is brought to you with their kings leading the procession. The prophet speaks Thanks. Thanks. to God. Pray together. Late giving God, we are magi on a caravan of lumbering hope, traveling through grinding wind and glaring sun, chill clear nights and skin baking days, and we come to seek your light. We come lumbering in hope, each of us on our own life's journey, traveling through times of loneliness and fear, through heartbreak and anger, through grief and loss, through economic uncertainty, through our own private crises, through the extended shock of horrific images of genocide, through struggles with the mental illness of a child, the disintegration of a parent, through the changes in a new marriage, the welcoming of a child, the completion of a degree, the vision emerging in a new work of art. We come lumbering in hope on a journey of joys and sorrows. We come as magi to seek your light. But life-giving God, we admit that we are also Herod the king, trembling in fear at the news of the rising of your light. We admit that we are afraid that the light of your truth may indeed rise, and it may be threatening to us. Like Herod, we fear the rise of the truth of the harm we have done to others, to build our own palaces and to fortify our own power. We fear the rise of the truth that lives beneath the political spin we put on our lives. 
We fear to admit to ourselves the truth that may arise within us as we acknowledge the pain of what we have done to others and what others have done to us. Light-giving God, we come as trembling Herod, afraid of your light. But light-giving God, we are also magi wrapped in joy to arrive at the manger that cradles your light. We greet the rising light that Herod so fears. We, too, fear this light, this truth. For here we meet your light and truth, the truth of our own powerlessness. Light-giving God, we lumber together in hope as your church to lift your light. Let the light that we lift be this light visible in the manger. Let us lift not the light of our own congratulation of ourselves, the light of our own superiority, the light of our own belief and our own narrow presuppositions, not even the light of our own church. Let us lift the light from you that we encounter here. The light of the power you make known to us and the truth of our powerlessness. The light we can see as we sit quietly as magi at the manger, learning to be at ease with our common humanity, learning to be at ease with you. Let this be the light we lift as a beacon in the darkness we know. As we lift this light, may we too be lifted to know the true power that lies among us, waiting to rise as a beacon of your hope for the world. Amen. A reading from 2 Timothy. What strikes me most is how natural and sincere your faith is. I am convinced that the same faith that dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice abides in you as well. This is why I write to remind you to stir up the gift of God that was conveyed to you when I laid my hands upon you. You see, God did not give us a cowardly spirit, but a powerful, loving, and disciplined spirit. So don't be embarrassed to testify about our Lord or for me, his prisoner. Join us in suffering for the good news by the strength and power of God. God has already saved us and called us to this holy calling, not because of any good works we may have done, but because of his own intention and because eons and eons ago, before time itself existed, he gave us this grace in Jesus the Anointed, the liberating King, and now the time has come. That grace was revealed when our Savior, Jesus the Anointed, appeared. And through his resurrection, he has wiped out death and brought to light life and immortality by way of this good news. A reminder of heritage and humility. Thanks, Thanks be to God.
reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Now Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah in the days of King Herod. Suddenly, sages from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the one born King of the Judeans? For we have seen his star at its ascent and have to reverence him. When King Herod heard this, he was shaken and all Jerusalem with him. Then calling together all the chief priests and religious scholars of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judah, for it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, by no means are least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the sages, and learned from them the time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, God, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and reverence him. When they heard this from the king, they left. And there suddenly was the star that they had seen as its ascent going before them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they rejoiced. Their joy was exuberant. On entering the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they fell down and reverenced him. Then opening their treasure, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. The Gospel of our Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. you might have noticed today we had three scripture readings. That is because I am trying something new this year, uh, a new uh, lectionary written by an amazing um, womanist black uh, biblical scholar whose name is Will Gaffney. Um, And her lectionary includes three readings, actually four readings a week. I didn't figure we needed all four today. Uh, The staff and I are still kind of figuring out how we will best share all of these readings with you. So this is our our trial run. So I know it was a lot of scripture, more than we usually do. Um, But this lectionary is wonderful. Dr. Gaffney does her own interpretations and rewritings of scripture. It's very female-focused, which I know you all will appreciate, and I love, of course. Um, And we're going to try this and see how it goes. Um, So do please... Give me your thoughts. I may not change my mind, but I want to hear what you think always. Let's pray together. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. And may we hear a word from you today. Amen. The Herdman kids were absolutely the worst kids in the history of the world. They lied and stole and smoked cigars, even the girls, and talked dirty and hit little kids and cussed their teachers and took the name of the Lord in vain 
and set fire to Fred Shoemaker's old broken-down toolhouse. So begins Barbara Robinson's beloved Christmas book, The Best Christmas Pageant Ever. If you're not familiar with this book, uh, not very long, sweet little story, it centers around the six wild herdman kids, Ralph, Imogen, Leroy, Claude, Ollie, and Gladys, who end up taking over the school's annual Christmas pageant. They get cast in all the leading roles because they threaten to beat up anyone else who would take one of the leading roles. And they bring, let's call it, a unique approach to the rehearsals. After hearing a description of swaddling clothes, Jesus being wrapped in swaddling clothes, Imogen says, you mean they tied him up and put him in a feed box? And the youngest, who is an absolute hellion, Gladys, is cast as the angel of the Lord and insists on running around the room and yelling Shazam to terrify the shepherds rather than the more traditional scripturally based fear not. But on the night of the pageant, things come together for the best Christmas pageant ever and it's through touching moments like the three Herdman boys marching down the aisle as wise men, not bringing gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but their own Christmas ham from their own donated food basket. Then rather than going home another way, as scripture says, the herdman boys, the herdman wise men, just sit there. And as the narrator of the story says, it makes perfect sense for the wise men to sit down and rest. They're supposed to have come a long way. You wouldn't expect them to just show up, hand over the ham, and leave. Robinson's work makes for an excellent play, especially if you go see it live, if the actress playing Gladys commits, really commits to that wand and running around yelling Shazam. It's wonderful. But it's also sweet and it's funny and it pokes gentle fun at us church folks who like to mash up all of our favorite elements of the nativity story into a singular image. And it's also a good reminder for us as we dig into this morning's text so that we remember the details of Jesus' birth correctly because they matter. Now, as I've said, today is Epiphany, the day we celebrate the revelation of Jesus as God incarnate and the visit of the wise men. Epiphany marks the official end of the Christmas season on the church calendar. And from here, we turn to prepare for Ash Wednesday and Lent. This is what you would call a liminal space, the threshold between the celebration of Jesus' birth and his incarnation into ministry. So keep in mind, Matthew is not the only gospel writer to include this special visit. It's that important. And despite what many of our nativity sets tell us, this meeting doesn't happen around a manger with baby Jesus in swaddling clothes the wise men elbow to elbow with shepherds, cows, donkeys, and angels singing in the heavens. This morning's story takes place months, maybe even years later, as the term Matthew uses to describe Jesus in the Greek means young child rather than infant or baby. Having come from the east, the wise men somehow know, they somehow know that the star they've been following is a sign that the king of the Jews has been born. But what an assumption to make. What an assumption to stake 
an incredibly, incredibly arduous journey on. Why are they so certain? What motivates them to go to all of this effort? The answer lies in understanding that the appropriate descriptor for these visitors is neither wise men or king, but magi. Because it comes from the Greek word magos, which means magician, wizard, or sorcerer, and is a common way to refer to Zoroastrian priests. Now, you may not know much about Zoroastrianism. I know a limited amount, but what I can tell you is that they were well known for preparing daily horoscopes, telling fortunes, and magi are scholars with access to the Persian emperor, where Zoroastrianism is the official religion until the development of Islam. Zoroastrians believe that their prophet Zoroaster has much in common with Jesus, including a virgin mother and a ministry that begins after his defeat of Satan. Zoroaster predicts that other virgins would conceive additionally divine appointed prophets as history unfolded. And Zoroastrian priests believed that they could foretell these miraculous births by reading the stars. Like the Jews, Zoroastrian priests were anticipating the birth of a savior. So the appearance of these magi following a star is not only confirmation within their own religion, but also Matthew's effort to make it clear to his audience that Jesus' birth is confirmation of Old Testament prophecy. In one fell swoop, the evangelist makes the importance of Jesus' birth clear. He is so special, so important, so much a king, that people of other faiths travel to find him, bringing him gifts and falling down to worship him. And what gifts the Magi bring? First is gold, a sign of kingship and long associated with the divine. Then frankincense, an expensive incense representing wisdom. Finally, the prized perfume, myrrh, a sign of long life and healing. As you know, these are gifts for royalty. Another way, Matthew uses the Magi to point to Jesus' status as a king. But I'll be honest with you, the Magi's gifts have always kind of niggled at me. I can't help but wonder what Mary and Joseph did with them after the Magi left. The gold in most any form was likely the easiest to deal with, though gold is very heavy, depending on the quantity. But what about the frankincense and the myrrh? They're the kind of things used in the temple for worship. What was this couple going to do with these things? Symbolism and theological implications aside, these items are just so impractical for a couple who's just had a baby or has a young child. And they seem like exactly the kind of thing the toddler's gonna get into and make a mess with. <laughs> now, my preoccupation uh, with the Magi's impractical gifts is likely why uh, what I think started as an internet meme um, and has become several different things, why this appeals to me so much. You might have seen this floating around. It's a little poem um, that lists how different this morning's story would be if there were three wise women who had visited the young family. Um, I like this so much, my mother found a kitchen towel for me that I put out at Christmas, it hangs on my oven. Here's what it says. If there had been three wise women, they would have asked for directions, <laughs> arrived on time, helped deliver the baby, brought practical gifts, 
cleaned the stable, made a casserole, and there would be peace on earth. (laughs) As much as I like the idea of women visiting toddler Jesus, though to be fair, Matthew doesn't give the Magi a gender or even a quantity. We assume they are three and they were all men. Is the point of Christmas to give practical gifts or should we be trying a little harder? As commentator Amy Lindman Allen notes, in this season of giving, we tend to focus on the extravagant or at least frivolous rather than the practical. It is an opportunity to indulge and at best to let our loved ones feel seen and understood through the thoughtfulness with which we honor them this season. Thoughtfulness and honor are at the center of the Magi's impractical, extravagant gifts to the Christ child. Holy and practical, these Eastern visitors do not question whether Jesus needs their gifts. They simply kneel before him and offer him their gifts of indulgence. They understand who he is and who he will grow to be, and so they honor him. So my friends, what gifts do we have for the Christ child? How will we honor him? The good news this morning is that God joyfully accepts the gifts we lay at her feet, all the practical, necessary things we do and contribute to keep the church running, the lights on, and our family fed. But the challenge of this good news is to do more and be more open and a little less practical, a little less than just routine. I want you to hear me really clearly. I'm not suggesting you give beyond your means. This is not a stewardship pitch, I promise. I'm not suggesting you become a monk or a nun and dedicate your life to prayer. We would miss you too much for that. What I am suggesting is that we should be fully open to God's moving in the world and how that movement pairs with our passions and interests, even if those passions and interests aren't practical. What I'm suggesting is that we sit still long enough to feel the divine current that's always moving around us and that we respond to it, even if that means something else doesn't get done. What I'm suggesting is that we give everything we have to God and everything we are to God, even the less polished and underdeveloped parts we don't quite know what to do with. What is I'm suggesting is that we let ourselves be used, be changed, be instruments of God's peace. This is a new year, my friends. The Christ child is born among us, and we have the opportunity to respond. Let us do so extravagantly. Amen.
get thee up into the high mountain. O thou that tellest good tidings to Zion, get thee
As we come to this time of communion, we do so with joy, because a child has been born in the city of David, who is Christ the Lord. God is with us, and through the birth and life of Christ, we are witnesses to hope that is born in community, that is nurtured in love, that takes risks together, and we get the chance to multiply what we have because it is always more than enough. Now, it might seem odd to reference Jesus' final meal when we are celebrating the birth of the Christ child this morning, but birth and death are part of being human, and the Christmas season and Epiphany are celebrations of just how human God became through Christ. Friends, this is not my table. This is not Northminster's table. This is Christ's table. We are the guests, and Christ is the host There is a seat here with your name on it, so kick off your walking shoes. Make yourself comfortable. We are standing and sitting on holy ground. All are wanted and all are welcomed here with our doubts and our shortcomings, our failures, our griefs. No matter what you bring with you to this table, you aren't just tolerated, you are overwhelmingly welcomed and wanted. Thanks be to God for a love like that. Now, would you please join me in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The night before Jesus died was a solemn time around the table. Because of his relentless pursuit of love and willingness to be vulnerable, he would be seized by those in power 
This isn't a surprise because still today, we often crucify the ones who dare to risk it all on love. But before he was taken, Jesus introduced this meal to his followers. For though he knew the end was coming, Jesus joined with those he loved and knew best. And as the night lengthened, he took a simple portion of bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples saying, remember me. And then as the evening lengthened, and after they had finished their meal, Jesus picked up a cup and he filled it with wine. And as he blessed that cup of wine, he reminded the disciples that he would go to the ends of the earth out of love for them. Friends, Christ makes us the same promise. Thanks be to God. Amen.
And now hear this benediction. May God bless you with a distaste for superficial worship so that you will live deep within your soul. May God bless you with anger at prejudice so that you will work for justice. May God bless you with tears for those who sorrow so that you will offer comfort. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world. Go in peace. Amen. Thank you.